Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast, presented by the wonderful Queen Anne Beer Hall. RJ, as we uh, start off this episode 75 for us, so that's a nice little milestone here on February 13th, I have but one question for you. How's the Super Bowl hangover? <laughs> you know, it, it's going fine. Um, yeah, I, I had a good time watching the Super Bowl. Um, yeah, my my girlfriend actually won the Super Bowl pick contest we do with my family. So first win for her. Really proud of her. It came down to the tiebreaker of Patrick Mahomes rushing yards. So uh, the, the most important stat of the whole game. At controversial finish too. Like this, this brings up one of my fantasy football pet peeves of does you know taking a knee it counts as negative rushing yards. I have lost a game because of that in the past, uh, so I feel very impassioned by it. Um, good, to, good to hear it. Uh, it was quiet, quiet Super Bowl for for my family just because it happened to fall on my sister's birthday. So we had a fun time celebrating one more time. Happy birthday, sis! Uh, but we're not here to talk about the Super Bowl. We're here to talk about the Seattle Kraken. And the first Kraken-based question I have for you, RJ, is I think this might be the worst kind of week in review we've had to do for the Seattle Kraken squad this season. You know, looking at the schedule, I think you're correct about that, the way that this times out. Yes, they've had three-game losing streaks before, and I'd say, you know, maybe there's a worse four-game stretch, and you're talking about the very beginning of the season. You've got that Vegas, Carolina, and St. Louis losses in there. But that was split up. Uh, You only had two of those uh, before the next deep dive. So I do think this is probably the worst uh, deep dive week in review that we have had this season. Yeah, and I mean... (laughs) Just looking back at it, it's 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 pretty rough. So Kraken had four games. Normally, when we talk, when we there's four games to talk about, we've got lots of things to bring up. But really, for this four game stretch, it was just like, what went wrong? Uh, what to you know? Uh, we're gonna talk about it later, like the ideas of hitting the panic button, and what what about it all? Are we worried about? But it's really it's just it was brutal coming off that that kind of bye week right into the All Star break. I mean, this team, it was it was really bad. Figure you throw out that first game against the Islanders, that kind of 4 nothing loss, just, okay, that's your first game back. But, you know, the Devils game went a little better. Then you had that rough Rangers performance. And, yes, you finally pick up two points against the Flyers. But even that game, I don't think any of us walked out feeling, like, fantastic about it. Like, it wasn't like, oh, wow, all the problems are solved. We're back. No, it was more of a relief just to get two points, uh, you know, out of that stretch to kind of win ugly. And, you know, that is what good teams do uh, do sometimes. But, uh, yeah, it was not a convincing win at all against what was clearly an inferior Philadelphia Flyers team. I mean, that's not a good hockey team. It's it's really not. I liked there was a tweet um, I saw because there was at one point the graphic came up of I think it was the the Kraken power play against the Flyers PK and they were both 31st in the league and it was like when a stoppable object meets a movable force I was like yeah what will happen I know that's it's a it's a good good question um so yeah it's it's a rough week I don't think we're gonna go game by game we did learn a couple things this week and like I said before we talk like panic button stuff what what really worries us and what we think the Kraken could do to potentially fix it uh got to talk about the goaltending situation because this was something uh we had talked about going into the break what what might the goaltending situation look like coming out of the break as far as do you maybe start giving Philip Grubauer more starts making him kind of appear more the starter after Martin Jones has really held on to that title through most of this season and you know what that Sunday game against the Flyers it gave us our answer yes it felt like a changing of the guard in net and it's something we were looking ahead at after the back-to-backs against New Jersey and the New York Rangers that Philly game is one that you can play either goalie in you know it's it's not a matter of rest Generally, you're going to play your starter in that game. And for the first time in a long time this season, basically since Grubauer got hurt almost, uh, Dave Haxtall went with Grubauer instead of Martin Jones for that game. Despite the career splits not leaning in Grubauer's favor at all, that's Mm -hmm. something that, again, we don't know if they look at that, but it's something that based on past performance seems like a factor in in Dave Haxtall's decision-making. And he went with Grubauer, and Grubauer did manage to get the win. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it 
this is uh, the first time I can kind of remember Dave Haxall, like like the, the goaltender going against their historical performance. And not only is it the historical performance, but it's also the, the fact that like it's a revenge game for Martin Jones. Like he was the Flyers mm-hmm. goaltender last year. So that's that's why I'm I feel like it's it's pretty safe to kind of read things into that situation and, and the fact that they went with Philip Grubauer, I do think that that is them signaling, as you said, the changing of the guard, and we are going to see more Philip Grubauer here uh, for the foreseeable future. Uh, I say that, and then, of course, totally jinx this, and we see Martin Jones tomorrow in Winnipeg. <laughs> Certainly possible. <laughs> That's, that seems to be how like the deep dive's gone for us this year. Um, but it was it was nice to see Philip Grubauer get in there. He I thought he played a solid game team in front of him didn't help him out a ton at least certainly not yep. on that first and last goal um but it was just nice to see him pick up a win and and start to get closer to 500 rj like he's he, oh my gosh it's been so rough this season for him that uh, this is this is this gave him his sixth win can you believe that it was only his sixth win so far this season yeah, if you had told us at the start of the season that Philip Grubauer would have six wins by the middle of February, uh, you know, we, we would have known something would have gone wrong. Um, but I, I do think it was good to see because, look, it, it wasn't kind of a banner game for him. I think it's probably the worst game that he has played in 2023. And that's just because he's played so well this year. I mean, he's right. you know been the kind of the guy keeping his team in the game just about every time. Um, you, you know, you look at that 833 save percentage that I don't think tells the whole story, but it's nice that he's able to win a game given that that's the kind of thing you've seen Martin Jones do many times this season (laughs) where, you know, you'll have something like an 833 save percentage and you'll still get a win because the team in front of you has gone ahead and scored four goals. Um, But to be able to see that in front of Philip Grubauer, it feels like things are starting to normalize again. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So really, really happy uh, about that for him. Now though, kind of let's, let's take a look at, at the different things that, kind of went wrong for the Kraken uh, so far on this road trip. And the road trip isn't over. We still got that Winnipeg game. Um, But as far as this first week back, post All-Star break, post bye week, you know, generally when you think of those things, you think of, oh, okay, this is a time for the team to maybe get healthy. This is a time for the team to recharge a little bit. They can come out a little fresher. Uh, Maybe they can, like, take a look at themselves and, and maybe work on some of the things that they've, uh, you know, think about and, 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 and make mental adjustments for some of the things that they've maybe struggled with, um, particularly as of late. And I feel like for the Kraken, it was the exact opposite. Like they came out and we, you know, immediately get a, a Burakovsky injury. So it's like the team, you know, uh, yeah, we got we got Schultz back. We got um, Schwartz back. We got Baneers back. But you lose Burakovsky in that Um it, it didn't feel like they were refreshed or recharged in that Islanders game or really until that Flyers game. <laughs> you go through those first three and, and none of them looked looked that particularly great. Um, and then as far as like working on the things that they've needed to work on, we, we were talking about the same problems after all of these games that we've been talking about all year long. Kind of net front defense, special teams, especially like all of it was just really 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 bad um kind of in ways that we hadn't seen really this calendar year and so it's it's one of those that had us at you know people asking us the question in post game lives is it time to hit the panic button particularly after that rangers game and to the kraken's credit they won that flyers game we still don't know what a four game losing streak looks like from this year's squad <laughs> but rj like we 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 had those discussions let's have them kind of again here what what seems like the appropriate time and place for this Kraken team to be looking at something like hitting a panic button? Uh, I think you have to look at, especially once they come home and get some practice time in. A lot of times, long road trips, it's just about getting through them and just banking the point you can, even if you have to win ugly, like that Philadelphia game. Uh, but if they come home, especially with that first home game against the Flyers again, if you find a way to drop that game, then you might have to start thinking about, you know, pressing the panic button, you know, slightly, you know, maybe because again, they're not really risking a, a playoff spot at this point. But still, I think there's underlying signs about how the team is playing that, look, this isn't the Kraken uh, that was tearing it up in January. It's a, it's kind of feels like a different team. And until you get back to those habits, you do have to worry. 
Yeah, I mean, there is different levels of, like, talking about the panic button. There's removing the glass shield. There's hovering your hand over the button. There's touching (laughs) the button. And then finally there's pressing the button. Um, We had definitely blown past the removing the glass shield to having the hand hovering over the button. I think maybe we can go back to just removing the glass shield after that first Flyers game. But even that left some things to be desired for sure. Speaking of of the kind of things that you just talked about and, and maybe some of the signs and whatnot with the Kraken, uh, I went ahead and I pulled up, uh, I'm just looking on hockey reference here, and I sorted uh, all the teams based off of points percentage, and the Kraken are 10th in the NHL amongst point percentage, so they're still doing, you know, really well, like, again, they've, they've, they've banked a lot of points, they've been playing well through most of the season, but when I look at them compared to the other teams in the top 10, there's some things that stand out to me. And so the first, the, the question I want to ask you, RJ, and, and we can go over these is there's kind of three things that stand out to me that separate them from the other nine teams in the top 10 uh, based on points percentage in the NHL. The first one is their goals against average. Uh, it's at 311. Nobody else is over three. In fact, the next highest team is actually the Lightning at 2.92. So the Kraken significantly allowing more goals than any other team in the top 10 based on points percentage. The second one is their PK percentage, which is... Not surprised by that. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's just a hair under 71%. Only one other team in the 70s, and that's Vegas at 79. So significantly lower than them there. And then finally, it's actually the Kraken's shooting percentage, where they actually lead the, lead the way with an 11.7% team shooting percentage. Only two other teams over 11%. And again, the Lightning are the next highest at 11.2. So still a pretty big drop off from the Kraken to then the next highest team. So just the, based on those three stats, RJ, and we'll, like I said, we'll probably end up talking about all three of them. But which of those three is the most concerning to you right now? Uh, to me right now, I, I think it's shooting percentage because you look at that as, as something that it's, you know, one, one that's higher of the two. And it's something that I think could regress a bit, something that, uh, people look to generally to regress a bit when you're at the top of the league like that. Um, whereas the, the goals against average, I feel like we might actually start to see better goaltending from the crack. And I feel like that's heading in the right direction and the PK, I just don't can get any worse you know it's <laughs> it's not great right now but i don't know that it, that it get a whole lot worse and there have been some signs of them turning around at least temporarily they had that streak of 18 straight yeah. pks before it all kind of went bad again so i'm not as worried about that but yeah the shooting percentage is is what worries me just because this is a team that we've said actually for you know over a month now has the potential to just kind of go cold for a little bit. And we've seen bits of that uh, over this road trip. Yeah, it's definitely when we look at games like, well, the first two games combined, they had one goal. Like that, I can't really remember a stretch like that happening to this team in quite a while. Um, yeah, they pick up four against Philly. They they managed to get three in that Rangers game, so things maybe are are getting a little bit better there. But this has been something that has worried both you and I for a little while now. And when I look at the Kraken's top goal scorers, uh, obviously leading the way, you've got Jared McCann with his twenty four goals on the year, shooting a twenty two point four percent. That is very, very, very high. Um, it's pretty unsustainably high. Like, like you know, I've talked this week about, you know, over 82 game sample sizes for whatever reason in hockey. People can keep stuff like that up for, for a season at a time, but it's pretty high. Next highest uh, goal scorer on the team is, is Matty Beneers with 17 goals, and he's shooting 17.5. So, again, that's a pretty high shooting percentage, especially for somebody playing their first full season. Daniel Sprong, 15.5. Like that's where you're talking about elite goal scorers can kind of hang out and be consistent at 15%. Maybe Daniel Sprong's one of those. We got other stuff we could talk about with him. Um, But it's just, it's, it's rough. You see, you know, Tolvanen, nine goals uh, in his 19 games with the Kraken so far, shooting 20%. Like these are, these are things that are a little worrying to me because those are, those are ridiculously high. And on the flip side, there's not too many Kraken members that have kind of been, you know, below average that could maybe, 
you know, regress up <laughs> or not mm-hmm. regress up, but you know what I mean? Uh, Everly at 9.7% shooting percentage. Bjorkstrand's the big one at 7.5. You got to think that that could normalize and, and rise up. And then probably also Yanni Gord down at 6.9. So <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah. Go go for it. Yeah. And, and I mean, I'm glad you kind of, you know, brought up these players too, because you look at that, regression as far as the shooting percentage i think you've already started to see it and it's coincided uh with you know some of the bad results going back to the end of that really long road trip you look at jared mccann who's kind of leading the way goals wise since that you know that record-breaking seven win road trip mm-hmm. ended he's got two goals in his last 11 games and you're starting to see that from him already andre burakovsky same thing two goals in his last 11 games uh and he's not going to be shooting the puck for a little while now being injured. So that's just someone, those are the guys who you look at and they have the highest probably shooting talent where Mm -hmm. you can say, okay, yes, they they're shooting at a very high rate, but the eye test looking at them, they just have exceptional shots. Yeah. Jared McCann has an exceptional shot. There's a reason he should be shooting higher than league average. Andre Burakovsky, when he's on same thing, Uh, but you're starting to see those guys cool down as well. And that's where it's concerning. Matty Beneers, who you mentioned no goals in his last nine games. Uh, Mm -hmm. You're starting to see that slowdown. So I think we're getting the early signs of, of something to maybe worry about. Yeah, I, I, I do think that it's it's going to be an interesting problem for the Kraken to kind of tackle and deal with here for the first time this season. Um, there's there's a couple things that give me hope about it, just so that like we don't leave this one topic all, only on the negative, and I'd like your opinion on this as well. Uh, and that is, there's there's two things. One, when you look at people like a Jared McCann, like you know you did, you brought up, he has an amazing, amazing shot. Through 50 games this season, he only has 107 shots on goal it's kind of a similar story with a lot of the other members of the Kraken here outside of Oliver Bjorkstrand with his 133 shots. There's a ton of these people who, who haven't even hit a hundred shots yet through, through these 50 games. So it's also possible that maybe this is just a team that likes to pick and choose their chances instead of going for an Ovechkin Brent Burns volume outlook. Um, And, and that could be, you know, something that would signal, look, if you're choosing your chances and you're only going to choose really good chances, then you're going to naturally have a little bit of a higher shooting percentage just because you're only shooting higher percentage times. You know what I mean? Uh, do you think that that might be playing a little bit of a role in, in kind of like certainly like with the McCann where it's very inflated looking? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, the Kraken are not volume shooters. Um, I, I believe they're, you know, maybe have the 10th fewest, you know, shots per game in the NHL this season. Um, and you look at the other teams that are lagging behind in the, in the shots per game area, you know, Arizona, Chicago, Montreal, San Jose, Anaheim, you know, those are teams that are probably just not getting those shots because they're not very good teams. Uh, the Kraken are kind of the, the one exception that you can see there. I believe they're the, uh, the lowest team currently in a playoff spot as far as shots per game so they're definitely not a volume shooting team Mm -hmm. i i do think that would play a role yeah it's it's definitely one of those things uh it's kind of them and winnipeg in the top 10 they're the only two teams uh in the 1500 shot uh range everybody else is you know several hundred above that uh most of them and uh just to give like perspective also for for people who may not be as well versed in shooting percentage uh jared mccann last year when he had his 27 goals to lead the Kraken in his 74 games, he shot 13.6%. Uh, this year, like I said, he's at 22.4. It's a, it's a <laughs> lot higher. It's a lot higher. And and 13.6, that's more average and sustainable for, for a top shooter. You think of top goal scorers being around, what, 15% generally, RJ? That's yeah, what I, about I that. would consider. Yeah, yeah. so... 22.4 it's high even if you're kind of really only waiting to pick your spots it's still pretty high uh, in the case of, of Jared McCann the other thing that I that I want to bring up is one of the things that's that differentiates the Kraken who are actually sixth in the league in goals for um, is the fact that they have such insane depth they're not relying on one or two players to kind of carry the load goal-wise by scoring 30 goals by getting 500 shots or whatever uh, some insane number of, of uh, volume shooting you look at the Kraken and they have uh, you know Tanev picked up his 10th goal the other day so they have 10 guys with 10 goals for their team um, you can you could you know, if you count what he did in Nashville, Tolvanen's at 11, uh, but even still, he's got nine in his 19 games or whatever for, <laughs> for the crack in here. Vince Dunn is at nine. Um, 
that's a level of depth that we're not really used to seeing, and it's not really matched by some of those other teams in the top 10 here. So do you think that that kind of depth of, you know, the thing that you would worry about with a high shooting percentage team is, hey, if you get, you know, kind of regression from your top guys, you're not going to be able to score enough to sustain. But if this team is already relying on depth of scoring and look on any given night, we just have somebody who will step up. Do you then think that it's not necessarily as scary or as worrying for a team like the Seattle Kraken? Yes. And I just think it's a flat out. Yes. You look at teams that are really reliant on their top scorers and when they go cold, things get very bad. Um, but all season you've consistently seen somebody step up for the Kraken in that Philly game. It was, you know, Jaden Schwartz getting a couple. He'd only had one five on five goal up to that point all season, as we had talked about. Um, and, and somebody stepping up. I mean, the Rangers, you, you get Brandon Tanev stepping up with a goal. Um, you know, you, you have people that, that always seem to, you know, that, that seem to get on the scoreboard where it matters. Um, and yeah, the, the depth scoring is huge. It's rare that that's going to dry up at the same time as the top six scoring you know, so completely. Mm -hmm. And that's why you've seen the Kraken score so many goals this season and rarely have games where they're just not scoring at all. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, it's one of those things that like come playoff time, that's often how we see things go. Like how many playoff series have we watched RJ where one of the key pivotal, pivotal games, just kind of somebody that you wouldn't expect steps up and is the difference maker that one night, but that can kind of, trigger a whole series you know what i mean like it's it's something that happens yeah definitely i mean i i think of some of the most famous you know games and everything i the, the first cup final i ever watched ruslan fedotenko stepped up and scored a couple goals you know in, in the winning game like that's just how it works i know i know there was a penguin was it craig adams somebody <laughs> uh you know had a couple goals at a pivotal game like it always seems to happen it's a depth player that that just has a game i was gonna say max talbot game seven that's what goals. Max Talbot. Yep. That's who I was. Yep. That's who it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's it's one of those things that you you never know when you're going to need it, and and so having guys that can kind of prove that they can do it throughout the season, it is it's it's something that you want. But yeah, if you look at at the Kraken compared to the other kind of top teams in the league, you'll notice a lot of other teams they'll have multiple twenty goal scores, but not as many ten goal scores. Kraken kind of taking a different approach. It's going to be interesting come playoff time. Let's go ahead though and talk about those other two. Uh, stats that I brought up. You you mentioned, and we already talked about the goaltending, so we could probably start here. Uh, the goals against average probably going to work its way down, uh, and I do agree with you. I, I think the the odds of them staying at three over three really seems a little high given how well the Kraken have have worked on doing some of this. I wonder if partly that's just connected to the PK situation like if you just up the pk <laughs> to make it league average if that number doesn't drop a ton uh because those are a lot of goals that you've been giving up but it's it's one of those that i feel like if if you if if hackstall uh dedicates himself to riding the hot hand and really sticks with that and is kind of unafraid to to just see the momentum swings and make that change then yes i, I think the kraken can put themselves into a place where even if that goals four starts to drop because the shooting percentage starts to drop, as long as the goals against drops with it, you're fine. You're, you're staying in the kind of the same situation that you've been in all year long. And I think Dave Haxel would probably be okay with that. He's talked all season about how we don't want to be in these, you know, eight to five games where we're winning by that score line. He thinks that they're better off uh, in, in games that are lower scoring, that they're kind of grinding out wins. Uh, I know games he's pointed out as, you know, examples of how the team should play that three, nothing win against Boston. I mean, that was, you know, mm -hmm. probably the most banner game that they've had all season. Uh, and that's how he wants them to play. I think of the, um, what was the game earlier against the Washington Capitals that that three to two overtime win with Beneers getting the winner yep. there um, with how they played against a Capitals team that will just grind you down mm -hmm. and winning a low scoring game like that. Those are the kind of games that Hackstall wants this team to play and that when they get too loose, when they get into these like we saw against the Rangers six to three type of games, it generally doesn't work out for them. Right. And it, it, there's an interesting kind of potential parallel for the Kraken out there uh, as I look at these other teams um, towards the top of the standings. And the team that that stands out to me is actually the Carolina Hurricanes. And interesting. I, I kind of look at the Carolina Hurricanes and I see a team that's maybe what we would ideally want the Kraken to be 
with the roster they have. They're a team that also, yeah, they've got a couple people up there at, at, towards the top. They've got two 20-goal scorers, but really they're, they're focused on depth scoring. That's how they've been scoring their goals this season. I look, their power play is below 20%. Them and the Kraken are the only two in the top 10 below 20% on the power play. Um, their shooting, their shooting percentage is kind of the opposite story. They the, they have the lowest shooting percentage in the top 10 at only 9.5. So they probably got a little bit of room to, to go up there. But when I look at them, I, I see like, look, this is a team that's built similarly to the Kraken. It's a team built around depth. It's a team built around, um, excelling at what they do well and just focusing on that to carry them through and win hockey games. Uh, in their case, that's a little more playing defense than, than maybe is the case <laughs> for the Kraken, but that's partly just roster construction and everything and so when i look at them and i go wow their their points percentage is 731 and the krakens is only 613 what's the difference and then i look oh well their pk is is uh, 11 percentage points higher and i think yeah. and that's basically <laughs> it uh i i really think that it it's that it's that um it's that important and it's been something that's been holding the Kraken back that much. I mean, when you're talking about, I mean, do you have the numbers up there? How many goals does that amount to? It's 11 percentage points higher, but you should see a, a difference in how many uh, power play uh, goals they've, power, they've allowed. If you have, yeah, it. yeah, I have, I have that. They have uh, Carolina has allowed 33 power play goals against the Kraken have allowed 46. So you're talking about 13 extra goals uh, over the course of the season. Think of how many one goal Kraken losses they've had this year. That maybe the difference was that, that PK opportunity yeah, where you could just kind of over the course of the season, take 13 opposing goals off the board. <laughs> the difference mm-hmm. that that makes. Yeah, it makes a lot of difference. And, um, uh, it's, it's just one of those things, uh, especially cause you're looking at two power plays. Like I said, that aren't that different Carolina 35, power play goals on the season Kraken only 30 you know what I mean it's it's a lot easier to sustain that if you're Carolina you got 35 4 33 against versus the Kraken's 34 46 against right like one yeah. of those sounds significantly better than the other one um so when I look at the at the power play that that to me is is kind of the real big difference uh, I mean the penalty kill that's that's to me the is the real big difference between a team like a Carolina versus a team like the Kraken when both teams are built to kind of be like a on any given night somebody's going to step up for us and otherwise we just want to stick to our structure and and kind of grind out a win yeah and you talk about teams that are built similarly in a way built by the same person. I know it's been a while since Ron Francis was GM uh, in Carolina. Lots happened since. Um, But you've got to think he's still looking at that Carolina type model. And in a way, uh, Mm -hmm. they've kind of been a continuation of what was started under Ron Francis. Right. And I, and I should point out too, I, I mentioned they had the lowest shooting percentage. They actually have the most shots. So it's possible that they've been trying to find their depth scoring through just insane shot volume. They have uh, about 250 more shots on goal uh, over the Kraken over the course of the year. So that's, wow, it's kind of significant there <laughs> as, as we talk about it. But it's one of those that I, I still feel like the, the PK it's gotten better, but it's also been an up and down roller coaster. Like it, it hasn't looked better these last this last week. It was still very much something that that did the Kraken in. Uh, whether it was the difference maker in in maybe a game like the New Jersey game, you could argue because of those two power play goals that that you allow New Jersey to get, or uh, as a contributing factor to the six three loss to the Rangers, where you know, you kind of allow the Rangers to get going early on and you dig yourself a hole that even once your offense started to heat up and you were able to start shutting them down, you just weren't able to get out of it uh, because you, you dug yourself such a big hole early on or you you were stopping your own momentum by then giving taking a penalty and giving up a power play goal and it kind of kills all that progress you've been making. And so um, I know we've been talking about the power play. I, I honestly, RJ... The power play to me is a problem that is is not going to be fixable mid-year. This is a it's going to require whether it's a coaching change or a handing off of responsibilities or whatever it is over the offseason. I don't see the power play getting better until we get to the offseason when it can basically be torn completely down and rebuilt from the ground up. I suppose so. I, I still feel like there there's certain things you can do. I mean, just integrating one or two more different looks into a power play midseason. You saw they did this with the Tolvanen one-timer uh, when they brought him on, added him to the power play unit. They've moved Daniel Sprong around uh, you know, at, at times to try and open up that one-timer. Um, they've very sparingly, but at 
occasionally use Bjorkstrand, you know, use the one-timer there from the bumper spot. Uh, you know, I just, I think these things are doable. It, it shouldn't take that many practices and reps to get those going. Um, just to add one or two more looks, I think you probably do want to overall rebuild it when you can and, and, and integrate a different whole look to the power play. But I, I just, you look at, um, the um the the Schwartz's second goal in the mm. Philadelphia game. Yeah. Um, where you kind of do that the pass across, find that soft spot in the slot, like a low to high type of play. Mm -hmm. And um, I know somebody had commented uh to us on Twitter. I'm sorry, I don't remember exactly who it was, like that's the power, that's the set play on the power play they should be running or looking mm -hmm. for. And just something like that, where you're trying to set that up. I don't think it takes a whole off season to do. So I'm I'm gonna disagree there, but I don't think that realistically we're going to see the numbers get a whole lot better until this off season, just because, you know, these changes, if they were going to make them, if they were going to integrate this stuff, they probably would have done it by now. That's really my only, my only concern with it is just because like it, there's been ample time to work on this and to work on those things and to incorporate them in because we are seeing them five on five. I'd argue both Schwartz goals from uh that, that flyers game work. Right. Because they're they're both plays as far as getting somebody who's open kind of there in the center in the slot, the puck. I mean, that's that's what you would love to do on the power play. If you can make it happen five on five, I don't know why you can't seem to make it happen at all on the power play when there is, again, one fewer opposing team player out there. Like that's the whole like point of the power play. I, I just I don't understand why it's so brutal for the crack and why it's so difficult for them. And yes, I agree. It's stuff that in theory you should be able to do mid-season and to work on that stuff and get it going. But because we've seen the Kraken kind of fail time and time again to make those adjustments and to kind of do that, um, I just I, I just don't have faith in it, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, I, I, that's understandable. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. And again, I'm not trying to be like a downer during any of this, but like we said, this is arguably the worst the Kraken have looked all season when we've done a deep dive. So if if you're worried that we're being a little too pessimistic this week, just know that like, well, this is like kind of the only week that in which it might be justified all season. Uh, Kraken are still in, in really good shape. I, I still feel uh, for them. Like I said, they're still top 10 in the league in points percentage. That's not a bad place to be by a long stretch. Uh, I just want to look at you know what they what can they can what they can do to kind of sure some things up uh, before we hit the playoff time. And one of those things uh, that they can look at still, RJ, because we're still about two weeks out from the trade deadline, is by making moves. And obviously, we spent last week's uh, deep dive talking a lot about the trade deadline. Uh, you know, fielding the the amazing viewer call-ins that we had talking about players that people wanted to bring up and what the Kraken should do this week. We've got a couple ideas and, and maybe even a whole philosophy I can, I can throw out there and get your opinion on. Um, but let's start with somebody we didn't talk about last week during that trade deadline discussion, but that has been brought up uh, by, by you and by some other uh, listeners and stuff. And that's Ryan O'Reilly as a potential fit for the Seattle Kraken, somebody who could come in. And we talked about Jonathan Taves last week. Uh, we talked about Bo Horvat before that, but somebody who could come in, win some face-offs for you, um, kind of add, add a little bit of center depth for you, be a nice veteran presence, somebody who's been there, done that before. Um, why don't you go ahead and make the case to everybody for Ryan O'Reilly, somebody who has all those attributes, but might not cost as much. Will do. And as you probably remember, I took the don't do it side in the Bo Horvat uh, yep. trade debate uh, that we had. And I, I stood by, I stand by that, you know, you probably don't need a center as much as you needed maybe a depth defenseman, like with the, the Jacob Megna ad. But yep. now that you already have that under your belt, I think you start to look at areas you can improve. And I don't think you need a superstar center, but like you mentioned, you need somebody who can come on and take key face-offs. And this is something that has really, um, you know, it's been noticeable over this last skid. Uh, whereas when the Kraken were winning, it was kind of easier to you know, brush that aside and, oh, okay, well, they lost this key draw here and here, but they're, they're still winning games. Um, and I think Ryan O'Reilly is the perfect fit for what the Kraken need and especially any team really gearing up for a playoff run. I think he'd be a great ad. Um, so 
we'll start with the Blues, and I wasn't sure whether he'd be available or not. I mean, we still don't know for sure, but mm -hmm. uh, the Blues, it seems like with the Tarasenko trade, they've kind of thrown the towel in on this season. They're looking to kind of reload for next year. Um, and O'Reilly is on an expiring deal. He's a, an unrestricted free agent at the end of this season. Uh, 7.5 million cap hit uh, just for the remainder of this year. And the Blues probably would be looking to move him if he's agreeable to a trade. It's something where you'd probably want to do right by the player, mm -hmm. uh, you know, given how much that he's he's done for them. He's, he's their captain. You know, it's uh, something you want to treat delicately. But um, Ryan O'Reilly, he can take face-offs. He is an excellent, uh, you know, defensive center. I mean, you, you look at his face-off percentage just season by season over his career. I, I was just going to say, I was going to, I was going to ask you, guess the last time he was below 50%, but you probably got it before you, but for everybody listening, it was when he was an 18 year old rookie in Colorado. That's the only season yeah. he's ever been below 50%. Yeah, he is a face-off monster. I mean, this is something he's demonstrated uh, you know, over the course of his entire career. And it's, uh, yeah, just something he's consistently been good at. Even this season in a down year, mm -hmm. uh, you know, 54% on the face-offs. He's still been good there. Um, so that's that's great. I mean, that takes care of that for you. But, of course, the question with Ryan O'Reilly is he doesn't look like himself. Uh, this season... He hasn't been scoring like himself, only 17 points uh, in 38 games. Uh, he's been injured for a while. I think he just came back from, from an injury. Um, I, I think it was it a foot injury, it Dylan. Foot, I remember yeah. we looked at this foot. Yeah. From a foot injury. And so you're wondering, okay, can he be himself? Uh, and plus minus far from a perfect stat, but you look over the course of his career, he's largely, you know, in the positives here, minus 27 this season on a blues team. That's definitely worse than it was. Mm -hmm. um, but no matter how you slice it, he hasn't been himself. But you don't need him to be himself, you know, full of what we would know as Ryan O'Reilly from last season and the season before in order for him to help you out. You just need someone who can come on, take a big face off in a spot situation and play some really difficult to play against defensive hockey. That's something mm -hmm. I've always admired about his game. He is a pain in the butt to play against. Go back and watch any of his playoff series that he's been in, especially in that 2019 Stanley Cup run for the St. Louis Blues. Um, he is just a shutdown center, and you can never have too many of those in the playoffs. And when you have the chance on a down season like this to maybe be able to get someone like Ryan O'Reilly cheaper and take that gamble that he could get back to even you know, 50 75% of what we've known him to be, I think that's the perfect ad for the Kraken. Hopefully, I don't think it would cost more than a second round pick, maybe one of your higher seconds. Mm -hmm. um, I think there are going to be a lot of teams that are interested, so that might drive the price up. Ultimately, I don't see him garnering a first round pick given the season that he's had. I mean, you know, if, if Paul Gostad back in the day could get a first round <laughs> pick, maybe O'Reilly could. Yeah. But I think for a second rounder, I think that's, that's the perfect move for the Kraken to make. Uh, absolutely agree. I, I'm on board with this 100%. Um, like you said, the the Kraken and this week made it very, very clear. And this is part of their special team struggle, especially with the PK. You don't have somebody that you can send out there and believe is going to win a faceoff. That was something that became very clear to, I think, all of us during these post games and, and everything is just that we don't ever feel confident going into a situation late in a game, especially in a, on like a special teams draw that we can win it and that we can make anything happen with it. And so I would argue, you know, Ryan O'Reilly, not just for the key faceoffs five on five, he can, he's excellent PKer. So you can have him out there on the PK, taking those faceoffs, stick him on the power play, have him take your faceoffs on the power play and then just go park net front. He knows what to do there. Kraken aren't utilizing the net front player really at all anyway. So you might as well stick anybody there. If he's going to win you the faceoff to maintain uh, possession of the puck right away. So you don't have to deal with your terrible zone entries. It's again, worth it for you. Um, so yeah, I think, I think Ryan O'Reilly, you know, you, you worry about why it's, why is it a down year? It seems a little early for him to have fallen off this much of a cliff just because of age. Um, I got to think, you know, the foot obviously is something that's not going to feel great, but you also just wonder St. Louis has been a terrible team this year. Like, like before they decide to sell off, there's a reason they put themselves in this position to kind of sell off. It's just because they have been awful all season long. I mean, there was talks about them blowing it up before Christmas because of how bad their start to the year was. And so you got to think when 
when, you know, you're already maybe not feeling it or whatever, you're in that kind of situation. Yeah, it's a little hard to have that same kind of spirited game that he's so known for. Whereas if he gets flipped to a playoff contender, that reawakens. In any competitive athlete, that is coming back 100%. So I would be very much in favor of the Kraken bringing him in. That 54%, yeah, that's that's low for Ryan O'Reilly, 54% faceoff dot. Yanni Gord leads the Kraken at 489 Be light years <laughs> ahead of anything the Kraken have right now. So uh, I am I am all for Ryan O'Reilly, and I'm certainly all for getting him if it's only going to cost you maybe say, yeah, like a second seems like maybe not quite enough uh, just because of a potential bidding war there. But, you know, a second plus a mid-round pick, like I'd be all for something like that. Yeah, I, I, I can't think of a better way to spend that level of draft capital. And again, you're trying to catch lightning in a bottle here. The Pacific is wide open. Yep. Uh, this is probably the best way that you can fortify the team that you have. Yes. Uh, however, there's also another option, RJ. Because that, oh that would help the Kraken from like a a defensive side of things. You can win draws, maintain possession, uh, win defensive draws, win PK draws, all that kind of stuff. Help them out defensively. That's obviously one school of hockey thought, but there is another. That is the school of just outscore all your problems. Okay. And so another player that people have talked about uh, with the Seattle Kraken, maybe they should be interested in just because he's been floated out there, but maybe nothing much has really happened around this name. And that is, of course, Timo Meyer of the San Jose Sharks. Okay. Who is having a, a pretty good year as he does most of the time. I mean, this is just a player who scores a lot of goals. That's the bottom line. That's his game. Uh, that's what his game is probably going to stay as once he potentially leaves the Sharks here. Um, you look at him 30 goals in the 54 games he's played this season at a sustainable 12.4 shooting percentage, let me say, too, just because we <laughs> talked about that so much earlier. Um, you look at him, he's, he's nearly a point per game player on a Sharks team that if you took out the insane, ridiculous, that is Eric Carlson is not a team that should be producing a point per game player. <laughs> I think that's yeah. worth noting too. So you got to think that if you added a guy like Timo Meyer to the Seattle Kraken, this is a player who could really help out this offense and it would kind of help solve that problem of you don't need to wait for somebody to wake up game by game and kind of step up and be the person because you also have somebody who might be good for a goal a game for you almost um, just down the stretch at all. So what are your thoughts about about taking kind of the opposite approach and, and maybe looking at somebody like a Timo Meyer? Well, he would certainly help the Kraken right away. There's no question about that, the caliber of player that Timo Meyer is. Uh, he is the real deal. He is a, a legit top-line winger in the NHL. Uh, you know, he is a legit 40-goal scoring threat now, last season, this season, and, and going forward. Um, and he has been carrying, uh, driving the bus largely by himself uh, from the forwards' perspective in San Jose this season. Um of course, growing up a Sharks fan, I uh, I watched a lot of Timo Meyer playing, especially when he was younger. Um, there were times where he would just kind of go cold for long stretches. He hadn't fully figured it all out and put his game together, mm -hmm. but he has put together all the pieces last season and this season, um, and he's just been a different player since. Um, so I love the player. Yeah, not arguing, you know, against that, but um, the price that we're talking about, what Timo Meyer would cost, because. He is the best player on the trade market right now. You're going to pay top-notch prices um, for bringing him in. And especially the fact that he's not technically an upcoming unrestricted free agent. I mean, you still do have one more year of team control. There's there's kind of a caveat with that, which I'll get into. Um, but the fact that he's a pending RFA should add to his value as well. Um, I don't think the Kraken are in position to sell out the future uh, for Timo Meyer, it's a lot of the same arguments I made um, with Bo Horvat uh, and bringing him in. As much as I'm convinced that Meyer is a great player for a winger, that's again, that's your one big ad. I've argued you have one more big ad that you can make over the next few years. And if you bring in Timo Meyer, you have to be okay with the fact that you got to like your defense because your blue line core it's not improving over the ne next season. It's not improving. It's not improving this season. Um, and then same, you're not adding another big name forward either. Um, so I don't think that trade-off is worth it. Um, 
yeah, you want to keep those options open to you and also what you'd have to give up. If the sharks are smart and, and you know, that's that's definitely still in question. You know, <laughs> it, we don't we haven't seen Mike Greer handle a situation like this where he's kind of fielding what should be a bidding war and, and getting those offers up and everything. Um, but if they're smart, you know, the the Sharks should be looking for certainly the Kraken's first round pick this year. Yep. Um, a top prospect. I think the Kraken would say that that Shane Wright is probably off the table, mm -hmm. but the Sharks should ask for him. Yeah. I, you know, I think that would be part of your ask. Um, if not, you're looking at almost certainly, you know, one of the second round picks, a Jagger Furcus, a Riker Evans, you know, maybe two of them even uh, to bring in Tebow Meyer. Um, and then you're looking at, you know, maybe something else, maybe a roster player or something to, you know, to make the spot work. So I don't think the Kraken are in a position where they should sell out the future like that yet. Meyer is, um, I don't know, how old is he? I, I was 26. 26? 26. He's 26. So kind of in line with where the core is, you know, Maddie Beneers, you know, 20, Shane Wright, 19. But I think you're still going to have Meyer's best years not line up fully with where the core is. And especially a lot of the recently drafted players, you know, the, the Jagger Ferguses, David Goyettes, uh, you know, Riker Evans of the world. Um, it's just not going to line up time, time wise. By that time, you're going to have Timo Meyer be 30 by the time they hit their best years. Probably not the best thing to do. Um, and then finally, we'll get into the contract status here. Um, I think one thing with Timo Meyer, any team acquiring him, you have to be sure that you can give him a qualifying offer. So he, what, how this works is he's a restricted free agent. So his contract's up at the end of this season, and he's a restricted free agent, which means the team that has him still will have his rights. But in order to maintain those rights, you have to submit what's called a qualifying offer. Uh, which in Meyer's case would be a one-year deal at $10 million. So that's a $10 million cap hit. It, it was intentionally designed this way by the Sharks' former GM, Doug Wilson, to kind of make him take a lower number for this contract. So it's this poison pill in the contract, basically, where Meyer can then turn around and accept it and say, sure, I'll play for one year, $10 million, and it's going to walk me right to unrestricted free agency where I can go sign, leave and sign for any team I want. So that's something that you're getting into. And I think some teams may even be approaching him as just a pure rental because they can't afford to qualify him. So if you don't give that qualifying offer, then Meyer just becomes an unrestricted free agent. He can sign with anybody and you could lose him for nothing. So looking at the Kraken's cap situation, I don't think they can afford that that $10 million. If you move some stuff around, maybe you can. Um, you know, if you don't re-sign Vince Dunn, you can, but I, I think the Kraken want to do that. <laughs> Otherwise, you've got to move some money out, whether that's Jordan Eberly or a Brandon Tanev or just somebody that you're trading away. And that's beyond not signing Brian Donato. Donato gone, Sprong gone, Geeky gone. Basically, you know, any one of these depth players, they're all gone. Susie gone. Um, you know, Martin Jones, no chance of an extension. So I think you'd have to do too much juggling there to make the money work. I don't think this deal is right for the Kraken. Yeah, it's the the contract is the, is the thing that um, is certainly the scariest aspect of, of bringing in a Timo Meyer, but it's also the thing that could realistically potentially keep the the what you'd have to give up to get him down. Because mm -hmm. that's obviously such a such a point of contention for any team potentially looking to add him. I think that's partly why the Sharks haven't totally been as active around him as everybody keeps acting like they should. Like every other day, if you go to NHL's website, it's just who else could be moved before the trade deadline. And it's a big picture of Timo Meyer. And yet, as far as we know, according to all the insiders, not a lot of actual talk going on there. And I think a lot of that has to do with that qualifying offer and what that would mean so i i actually think it wouldn't be as much to 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 bring him in i think you're looking at one prospect one first rounder it's probably all it would take to bring him in just because it's a pretty easy argument for anybody to make who's who's bringing him in look i can't give up more because he's potentially walking away from me at the end of the year like i i like the you know no rental is worth um more than that uh so it's it's one of those interesting situations you bring up the idea of, look, does it fit in with your core and with their their window and, and the kind of the true window of the Kraken? And this is something that I brought up yesterday after that Flyers game during the post game a little bit. And I, you know, I brought it up a little bit, but we didn't totally talk it out. And, and that's the idea that 
the Kraken are in this unique situation that no team has ever found themselves in before, where prior to the Vegas expansion, the expansion rules never allowed teams to get set up in a way where realistically they could be competitive the first couple years of their existence. Obviously, the Vegas thing changed everything. We see them make their run to the Stanley Cup final. Didn't happen for Seattle year one. But what Seattle was able to do and, and the interesting situation they find themselves in compared to Vegas is Seattle was able to draft Matty Beneers. And they were able to draft with their first ever pick in franchise history a true franchise cornerstone center that they could build a team around. And then the next year, because things went bad for them, they were able to grab a Shane Wright, who's this perfect complement piece to him as another top center who can hold down the fort and play a two-way game and do all those things that you would ever want a team to do. And so only two years, two drafts into their existence, they already had the two most valuable team things a team could ever ask for. And on top of that, they have all of these supporting pieces around it. They have a good team. They have a team that's, you know, still legitimately has a chance to finish first in their division this year. We have never seen a team ever put in this position before where you're trying to build up a prospect pool, but also at the same time, you're looking at this and you're looking at the first full season of Matty Beneers and you're going like, wow, our competitive window might actually be like next season or the season after that. Like that's how fast this could be for us. And so it becomes, as you look at things like the Kraken's first round pick this year, where it's going to be a late first round pick. I've talked about it before. Late first round picks, you're looking at realistically three years before they can actually contribute in a meaningful way to your NHL team. Three years from now, you're already in the middle of your competitive window. Yes, it would be great if then that first round pick can step in on an ELC and be a great additional piece to that team. Nice depth option that you're not having to pay for. But it's also possible that that first round pick doesn't turn into anything. And so it's one of those, because of this unique situation the Kraken are in, do you think that it would behoove the Kraken to go ahead and make that, make that trade for that one piece, whether it's Meyer or somebody else? But to go ahead and, and acquire that one big acquisition they're going to be able to make and have that person there as Matty Beneers develops, as Shane Wright comes in next year to play their first full season, develop chemistry with them, be around, have that whole group grow from a leadership perspective. Just because we've never seen a team do that before, but we've never seen a team as competitive as the Kraken are already with franchise cornerstone pieces in the pipeline and nearly ready to go. I think it's something that they should be open to potentially. And I, again, I, I'm, I'm with you on that argument that it, it could be something to, to make work because you already have a Matty Beneers uh, and because you have that, that prospect pool kind of where it is. But I think you have to be very selective with, mm -hmm. with who you choose to do that with, because you only get one. Yeah. It, it's that simple. You only get one. And uh, you know, by bringing in a Timo Meyer, you're passing up on, you know, basically anybody else, any defenseman that you might want to add. If you feel like you need, you look at a lot of the recent cup winners, you know, in Colorado, we have Kale McCarr, Tampa with, you know, Victor Hedman, a lot of these cup winners, they, they have a, a real superstar defenseman and you just don't have anybody in the system like that. Usually it's guys that you have to draft, mm -hmm. but you know, that, that might be a piece you feel you need as good as Adam Larson is. And we, you know, we both like him. Um, I, I don't think he really fits that mold. So, you have to decide how you want to do this from a roster construction perspective. Uh, if you bring in Timo Meyer, you're, you're passing up on any potential chance for maybe a Sebastian Ajo, you know, a yeah. year down the road. I know you've brought that name up. Um, there are other opportunities that come up that all of a sudden are no longer in play for you. Um, I guess my final, my final word on Meyer is if it's a price where you feel like it's not the worst thing in the world, if he happens to just be a rental, because you're, you're not sure you can get a deal done with them longer term. Like, Heck, if the Kraken were, you know, if they'd won these past four games, all of them, and they're, you know, top of the Pacific, and you're looking like, okay, we're gearing up for maybe a long playoff run here, do you, and you give up maybe a first and a second for Meyer because it's a discount price, and, you know, the bidding war hasn't materialized the way the Sharks want, and hey, even if he walks, then, then you've basically just made an average, you know, cup contender, go for it, deadline deal, mm -hmm. then I think you got to be okay with that. Um, but if it's anything beyond that, if it is really the bidding war that it seems like it should be, if the sharks are, you know, competent with this, uh, then I think the Kraken should be out. But 
it's all about value shopping, bargain shopping. Um, and if it falls into your lap, then, then I wouldn't have a problem with it. Yeah. I I'm with you on, on several of those points. I, I, I'm not feeling it with Meyer. I don't think that it's the right time, but I do think that this is something that Kraken fans should be, um, you know, open to, or at least understand that it might be in the Kraken's best interest to, at some point, be open to either trading a first round pick or, uh, you know, uh, high picks anyway, or trading prospects like a Ryan Winterton, who here's a third round pick who realistically, if they had had an OHL season, would have been a much higher pick. Kraken were able to get away with one there. Um, and he's developing great, but it's one of those things like you look at the Kraken, hey, We've already got Maddie and we've got Shane Wright. It's Ryan Winterton, where is he supposed to play? He's going to be your third line center. Is he really best equipped to that? Is is giving him those, that level of minutes really what's going to be best for him? Um, or is 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 his value to us really more so the fact that, hey, we've got a potential top six center here that we don't have room for, but we can flip that for maybe a defensive prospect that that is looking like a, a, a potential top pairing guy or somebody like that. I do think that we are approaching that level because the Kraken are competitive and they are starting a window with franchise cornerstones where the conversation pretty soon here is going to have to shift to not just about building out the prospect pool but already taking advantage of the incredible job that Ron Francis and company have done drafting because these are valuable assets that can help this team win in the near future while Maddie Beneers is still affordable, while Shane Wright is still affordable, <laughs> while you know you have guys around like a Yanni Gord who has significant cup and playoff experience, while you guys have guys like a Bjorkstrand or a Schwartz or a McCann. You know what I mean? Because when you start looking out further than that, this group as we know it doesn't really exist. And so it's 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 one of those things that we're all going to have to weigh. It's it's obviously Ron Francis is the one in control and he's going to have that final decision. But I do think that it's something that Kraken fans, um, we have to be prepared for as as harsh as it might be and as as difficult as it might be um, at some point in time there. We're going to have to make that decision between building out and having fun with all this draft and development versus making the decision to go for it and be serious cup contenders. And I think the Kraken are surprisingly close to that. Uh, well, soon, well, sooner than anybody thought they should be or would be. Um, but I, I think the Kraken are kind of getting there. So yes, I agree. This deadline doesn't make the most sense. See what the situation is this off season though. I really think the Kraken could get away with not having to pick in the first round this year if the appropriate situation offers itself to them. Uh, either that or, you know what, try to try to go in there while there's a potential hiccup in this Jacob Chikrin trade, and there's your top defenseman that you can lean on, and uh, let's make it happen, <laughs> RJ. Let's go! There we go. Somehow the, the Kings falter there based on this, this last non-essential player to the deal. I guess he could swoop in there, but yeah. It's all about, uh, you know, seeing what come, let it come to you, Ron Francis, and, and good things generally do. All right. So looking at the week ahead, obviously got a very difficult game against Winnipeg. I said it yesterday on the post game. I think this is our playoff primer. Teams coming off of a little bit of a rough stretch. You're playing a, a, a team that is going to be in the playoffs and plays very well. This is your chance to kind of prove like, hey, we can sure things up special teams a little bit. We can go up against a top-notch goaltender in a Connor Hellebuck. Uh, and so I, I like, I'm like. i really looking forward to what the team can do tomorrow against Winnipeg. And then, like you said, some interesting games at home. Philadelphia, again, that that's a game you kind of can't afford to be losing now because you've, you've spent, we didn't even talk about the Kraken kind of burning through all their games in hand on the rest of the division mm -hmm. with these losses. <laughs> uh, but that's a game that you kind of have to win on the 16th. And then a game against Detroit, which again, you're looking at a team, you probably have to be winning those games against teams like Detroit. If you want to be, uh, you know, a team battling for top in the division. So that time has kind of finally come for the Kraken where it's it's put up or shut up time in a, in, in a way. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it, RJ. I am too. It's going to be an exciting stretch because, I mean, like you said, the games in hand are pretty much gone. Uh, you just got to keep pace. A lot of scoreboard watching, a lot of meaningful games. And I mean, hey, this is what we were missing last season. Yes. This is what the Kraken and Kraken fans did not have at all last season. It's meaningful hockey February on through to April. Uh, yep. So it's going to be a fun ride.
Yep, it's it's a fun shift of focus, uh, but it's 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 an enjoyable one. Like you said, it's a fun ride. All right, thank you everybody for joining us for this episode of the Deep Dive. As always, let us know your thoughts and opinions on. We talked about a lot of stuff. Let us know your thoughts and opinions on it all. Whether it's reaching out to us on Twitter, Instagram, or leaving a comment on the YouTube version of this podcast. One more huge shout out to Queen Anne Beer Hall, fantastic place. You know, if you're looking for a place to go watch that Jets game tomorrow night, that would be a fun place to go and do it after work. If you're, you know, maybe downtown something like that. Um, so big shout out to them for, for supporting us as well. And, uh, we will see you all next time. Hey everyone, before we go, we just wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over at patreon.com slash Emerald city hockey, especially our terror of the deep patrons, absurdly sane, Alex, Andrew, Austin H, Austin W, beef, Ben, burnt creme, Chris, coop, Daryl, DJ, DJ Singletone, Duthin, Eli, Emmy Chan, Gaby, Gary, Harry Legionary, Jay, Joni, Joshua, Kepler, Kitty B. Kraken, Kyle, Leanne, Lonnie, Maya, Michelle, Nunya, Paige, Paul, Rebecca, Sarah, Scott, Sean, Shoeshine, Striatic, Tasty Kobold, Team YMIAT, Tank Commander Ty, Tyler, Tyler, and Wendy. Thank you so much for making all this possible. We really appreciate your support.